This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I am your host, Petey Pob, and with me I have Mr. Val Heffelfinger. Psych. It's an actual episode. <laughs> From Northern California, I mean Oregon, Mr. Sean Abuse Puppy. We like to think ourselves of Southern Washington. I thought you were in Washington. Nope. I mean, Oregon's a flyover drive-through state, you know. Ooh. <laughs> just lost all that. I saw a little Oregon tab on the states just go black with all my viewers. Just turned off. I just always podcast. think of dysentery yeah, when I think of Oregon. Don't call us Californias and don't call us flyover. Except for, you know, everything east of Portland. That's all flyover. Don't, don't, aren't flyover states like states that people actually fly over? Yeah, I mean, that's all states, yes. <laughs> And then, finally, fresh off his two-time defense of the WWE Championship title, Mr. President Camacho. The absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. Boom. Whoa. uh, Mr. John Camacho, uh, 40K LVO top eighter, unique list extraordinaire. If you've heard of him, we've talked about him on the podcast a few times. Uh, welcome to the show, Mr. John Camacho. I believe this is the second time you've been on. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me again. All right. So today we are talking about a subject that a lot of people have been asking for. It's something that people have asked pretty much since the start of the podcast. Um, I don't know why I haven't, I haven't, you know, had an episode on it yet. And that is formats, tournament formats, kind of Think of this as your introduction to competitive 40k tournament formats. If you want to know what the hell ITC, ETC, CTC, BTC, those CT, aren't real things. All of those, those, those acronyms. Aren't, those aren't real things, Bubble. Those. Oh, I was just going. I, and, and to be fair, one listener probably legitimately thought those were all those were all things. With great power and, comes great responsibility. To report the facts, sir. The, the point is is that a lot of those acronyms, a lot of those tournament formats can be overwhelming for people listening to podcasts or trying to get into competitive 40K. So today, this episode, we're going to try and do our best to cover all of the popular ones currently being run in 2019 8th edition. We'll probably have another one of these episodes in a year when 9th edition comes out and when we have new tournament formats, though I think in general... Unless something crazy happens, these are probably going to be the main ones that we're going to be seeing for a while. So we're going to talk about these different formats, and then we're also going to get into alternate formats. Uh, 
common things we commonly people change or uh, rules changes, uh, different kinds of formats that aren't as mainstream or aren't as competitive. And we're just going to talk about their viability, what they are, uh, you know, in case you like them and you want to talk to your TO and run them, you know, or if you're a TO, run them yourself. So before we get to the main topic, I do have some announcements. The first announcement is if you haven't already signed up for the Chapter Tactics Patreon, go to chaptertactics.com, go to patreon.com slash chapter tactics, where you can sign up and win an LVO high roller package. What is that, you ask? It is a ticket to the Las Vegas Open. It's not an airplane ticket. You still have to fly yourself or drive yourself out there. However, the high roller package is a package that sells out in minutes every year for the Las Vegas Open. It is an exclusive VIP swag bag, con badge, free ticket, awesome thing. Um, there's lots and lots of goodies in there. It's easily three or $400 worth of value. And one lucky patron is going to be winning it this month. Don't worry. If you're not planning on tending the LVO, I'm still going to send you your swag. So sign up for the Patreon if you want to win that this month for the month of May. And also, if you're a lucky Patreon listener, you will get access to exclusive content this month. I'm going to start bringing faction-specific tactics episodes starting this week. I'm going to be bringing on one to two guests from around the 40k community we're going to talk about faction specific tactics you know i'll bring on like people like nick Nadavati. we'll talk eldar we'll talk imperium uh should be a lot of fun and right now i'm letting my vip patrons pick who are, who's going to be in the first two episodes and which factions they are also going to be as well so look forward to that and those are going to be exclusives to patrons only and also Last week, we got treated to a little 40k stat center from Mr. Val Heffelfinger. Oh, yeah. Val, and what Peter. is 40k stat center? Uh, 40k stat center is a, is a show currently in development, so we're, uh, we're, st- we're still working the kinks out. Hopefully, we'll start uh, releasing regularly in June. Um, and essentially, you know, it's going to be tournament coverage. We're going to go deep on uh, events, hopefully get firsthand reports from the players themselves, um, do brief run-throughs of uh, lists and, and the relevant meta stats, um, and hopefully produce it in kind of a fun and uh, exciting way, kind of like a, like a sports show, highlight real thing. So you can listen to the last episode. It's like um, a crayon drawing of what I... Uh, and what we intend it to be eventually, so you can give it a shot and uh, let us know your feedback. The feedback's been great so far, by the way, everyone who's commented or left a post. YouTube's very honest. Yeah. Honest. <laughs> that's that's one word for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice way to say it. It's more actual. I mean, like, I'm in this for the attaboys. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Like, uh, that's, that's why I go on these shows. I like people to say that they like me. Um, but the YouTube stuff was actually really great. There's some really actionable feedback. So anyway, that was what that's what we're doing, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be uh, frontline gaming is for some reason supporting us, which is amazing, and by that I mean giving us access to uh, all you wonderful listeners. Uh, we'll figure out where we slot in the lineup, but um, it's uh, it's really cool to to sort of be doing that, and I assume Peter and I will still be allowed to come on Chapter Tactics. Absolutely. So as we envision it, we envision a, a three part weekly you know, broadcast or, or a network of sorts where we talk chapter tactics, we go in there and we talk community stuff. We talk uh, not maybe broader tournament news. And then we also get into op-eds, opinion stuff, things that you guys want to talk about. Um, who's doing what, who's bringing what. Um, and then yeah, if, we, if, if we're, if, if we do a lot of the, the, the sort of the 
where, who, and what kind of like news factual reporting, then you guys and us on this show, we can, we can do more of the analysis, the why it happened. A lot of the stuff we already do, it's just that the, uh, this way both stories are told. And if you just kind of want to hear the narrative of what happened in the tournament scene that week, you know, that's something that, uh, that stat center should be able to bring. Although also Jason says that he thinks the idea is as boring, most boring thing he's ever heard of and that he will not listen to us. Who's so J- which Jason? Jason on, on signals. Oh, well, you Reese's know what? Like... The salty banana is, is feeling a little extra salty that day. It was worse than YouTube. Ooh. You know, his words hurt. I cut deep. Mm. <laughs> the salt, it burns. <laughs> uh, but but uh, like Val said, Stat Center is going to bring you the factual reporting, the ESPN of sorts, and then Signals is going to come in there with the general industry news, you know, general frontline gaming news as well, uh, and also ITC announcements and whatnot. So mm-hmm. should be pretty cool. Um, what and that means for and then you're like Kornheiser, so you can be like a grumpy old man. Ooh, there so you you're go. You're like the PTI <laughs> to the sports center. Yep, just say. Put, constantly put my foot in my mouth. I'm chewing on my my shoe right now. It's so delicious. Mm, <laughs> yummy. There's no passport in it though. Oh. <laughs> oh, you thought he was being self-deprecating, but really he was just reaching down for that uppercut. That's nice. <laughs> uh, what, what this means for chapter tactics is uh, we will stop covering tournaments will stop talking lists uh, we're not going to stop completely uh if there's a particular large tournament or if there's something extra spicy going on in the event uh maybe there was a, a specific ruling that was, was controversial or some sort we'll still cover tournaments uh though we're going to leave all the nitty-gritty factual stuff to the professionals and we're going to talk about uh other things so i'm gonna i'm gonna try out different segments and see what fits what you guys want to listen to and one of those segments is going to be today uh which we'll talk about at the end of the episode oh awesome there you go so we're still don't worry chapter jack is still sticking around val and peter are going to be pulling double time probably won't be on chapter tactics episodes as much however i still plan on dragging them on or i'll just revoke their contract you see (laughs) that's how big networks do it right that's we right. own you now or something i don't know i'm well, new to this you know you're the boss man now uh, anyways moving on to tournament coverage for this week there's only one tournament to talk about and i'll let 40k stats center mr val heffelfinger take it away with the can hammer team tournament uh the canada the can hammer team tournament in lovely ajax ontario just east of of toronto which was great because i actually slept at home this is a rare feat for me for, for going to GTs. Um, it's a team tournament. It uh, moved from uh, another smaller town um, so that they could increase the format. We were actually in a hockey rink with no ice, which is great. So that's two two big Canadian tournaments in a row uh, that uh, were just places where people can make ice. That's awesome. Um, and uh, But it's actually really fitting because there's lots of room around all the tables. Um, however, it did have the curse of mother, Mother's Day behind it. So coming into this tournament, uh, there were a number of uh, like I don't want to make light of this actually, but like there's some there's some car accidents, people like wound up at the hospital. It was just cursed. BCP had a bunch of um, hiccups, I think, uh, rolling out some of their uh, the the new um, uh, update for for the team tournament support. Um, you know the the captain of my former team, Cash Money Hammer, he wasn't able to make it last second. Uh, Due to something bad that happened at work, it was just it was just, it just felt like there was a a, a bad juju around uh, around the Can Amber team tournament. But 
through perseverance and some excellent TOing uh, from uh, Chris Haynes and, and Darren C. Uh, from Canhammer. Um, they got through it. The tables were beautiful. Um, the competition is always really good. It's a team team tournament ETC style format. Um, in the past, it has in theory been to give practice for the Canadian teams. Sorry, for the Canadian team. So um, uh, it, two years ago, it was a four-man format. This uh, Last year, they moved to five, stayed at five-man format this year. Um, the Canadian ETC team has been selected, and they were divided into two different teams with a couple of the subs as well. And so they were out in the field. It was basically the studs versus the scrubs, which was uh, pretty fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think um, I, I played for uh, a, a team that uh, was a bunch of scallywags, well, uh, you know, leftovers also rans the CNX Tuesdays. We uh, we came out uh, in our pink shirts and and we had a good time. We actually uh, uh, so I'll, I'll I'll just say what we did. We went uh, uh, two wins, two draws, and a loss, which uh, was good enough for seventh place. Um, and uh, which upset me a lot because Cash Money Hammer, the traitorous bastards that they are, uh, they wound up with the best general award. They wound up in fourth place finish. Um, uh, so that, you know, I kicked a chair. I was very upset, uh, when that was announced, Ooh. uh, spicy. Yeah. Yeah. Betrayal and defeat on the same day. I mean, it's, it's a rough thing for anyone. Uh, table turn one wound up actually in third place. So really best general in this case, cash money hammer. It was, it's a runner up trophy guys. I mean, let's not get too excited here. Um, and, uh, team rejects, which was, was half of the, of the Canadian, um, uh, half the Canadian team wound up in second place, and ETC rejects. I don't know why they called themselves. Both of them called themselves rejects, but whatever. Uh, wound up in first place. So that means that the Canadian teams, uh, the Canadian ETC teams, place first and second, which bodes well. That's good. That is a sign <laughs> that the process is working for Canada. They at least were able to beat this field, which was great. Uh, I was really, really happy to see that. Um, uh, they both scored, uh, you know, very, very well. Although ETC Rejects did wind up uh, with a draw in their final round. Uh, Team Rejects uh, had one loss, so that's how they wound up on top. Um, and it was just it was just a wonderful event. I like We'll, we'll get into formats in a little bit, but I, I know we've talked about it on this show, but team format events are the best. If the, it, they're, they're, they're resource hogs. They take crazy amounts of space. They take a lot of people, a lot of coordination, but it's, it's worth every ounce of effort to uh to participate in a, in, a, in a team tournament it's worth traveling to um it's worth supporting anyone who has the crazy idea to try and put one together so i this, this is like to me the my, my favorite event there was room for more teams too um although next year hopefully not on mother's day and not cursed so i highly recommend it you know if you're you know I'd, I'd love to see more american teams come up especially now that it's it's located in a Bit more of a metropolitan area um, because I think it's it's great practice the CTC format. Where's Team USA? Why aren't they coming up? I guess they had the battle for salvation, but that's that's ITC format, whatever. So uh, that's that's the whole uh, that's the that's the whole tournament report. So any questions from the audience? Yeah. Uh, first off, um, what were the factions of the team who won the five person team? Oh, that's a really great question. Uh, and I'm on the spot. I have no idea. Okay. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna. Uh, well I'm going with Eldari. Um, I'm gonna guess. Were uh, they still using the old Yanari rules for that, or were they using no. the new ones? So unlike last year, actually, this tournament, um, 
they voted. We voted. Uh, there's a captain's vote, and it was 18 to two uh, to to adopt the fact two weeks out. So it was, it was very close to your unanimous. Uh, ironically, there was a team named Get Fact. That was their team name, and they quit in protest because we used the fact. Wow, <laughs> and I just thought that I was can't, hilarious. Can't write that stuff. This is <laughs> this this is turned out to be a, a Game of Thrones episode. We have curses, the, oh, the yeah. wives' curse on Mother's Day. We've got oh, yeah. drama. <laughs> we've got faction intrigue. And notice how Val said his former team cash money hammer. Well, it's my team I again now. Uh, it was well, my team again now. Sure, sure. For now, Varus. Well, we'll see. We'll well, see. Hey, a, no spoilers. Hashtag. There was a little Game of Thrones. Little, anyways. <laughs> anyways, moving on. Uh, the point is, is that it sounds like a good time up there, up there in the frozen north. Yeah, it was and, a, uh, good. No, it was a really good time. Um, anyone who is interested in actually, you know, combing through lists and seeing uh, what people were running, you know, especially, you know, maybe you want a little intel on the uh, on the on those top two teams. Uh, you can find the list document in the actual uh, Canhammer Team Tournament 2019 uh, Facebook um, event. Uh, and there'd be a link to a Google Drive there, and you'd be able to to have a look through all the lists. They weren't posted in BCP. Unfortunately, this is one of the first events I've been to where BCP did have uh, a lot of trouble. And again, like hats off to Chris Haynes. Um, I think especially Chris, he's run a lot of big events. He runs Capital City Bloodbath. He's helped um, certainly with the organization of this one many times, lots of RTTs. And, you know, he was uh, hand pairing the rounds as they were coming in. We still were able to use BCP to score. Um, but the uh, pairings were messed up uh, for, for most of it. I'm told, uh, I was reached out to Paul, and he says, you know, it, um, it's it's being, uh, the kinks are being worked out, and unfortunately it was just a brand new build, and we were cursed. I don't think I can blame BCP for um, the fact that some um, some sort of voodoo was placed on on, on that, that, that fateful rink in Ajax, Ontario. Were there any... Uh list that particularly stood out to you as new or innovative given the recent FAQ and all that sort of thing? I was actually kind of surprised, like just in the list that I was seeing, um, you know, I, you know, you get paired five times. So we, we got a pretty good sample of what was out there. I, there really wasn't a lot of differences in the archetypes and that might speak too to the fact that, you know, the, the turnaround was so quick. Um, I was surprised to see that there wasn't a lot of, lot of innovating on chaos. It felt mm -hmm. very much like the, you know, the meta we were in just, you know, with, with the adjustments to how it was played. Um, uh, I don't have the deep stats uh, uh, from the Falcon on this one either. So unfortunately, we're just we're just going broad strokes here. Um, but, you know, I, I ran into a couple Drakari lists. I ran into an Eldari flyer list. Um, uh, you know, the you know, large, large guard army. Um, and there, there was nothing that was particularly different. I, I do know on... Um, on rejects, Ridvan was running a uh, a very cool Venom spam style list, mm -hmm. um, which he was able to use uh, really um, overwhelming board control. At one point, he zoned out his opponent uh, so completely that all of his bloodletters died in reserve. Um, oh. <laughs> he was he was ruthless in the in the whole tournament. Scary actually had a really really great tournament. Uh, all right, so I have the list. Uh, Etc. Rejects was the the number one team, correct? Correct. All right. So we had Jeff Brown, Mr. Mr. Canhammer, Jeff Brown's list. Can I uh, give a little... Running. So thank you for pulling those up. I'm just going to interrupt. Remember, guys, when you listen to team lists, um, that these are meant to be um, 
you know, played against other lists. So like they're, they're going to be a lot more skewed usually than a singles list would be. And we'll actually explain that a little bit when we get into formats is, is uh, what Val is talking about is a very specific phenomenon uh, for team tournaments. Uh, but, but yeah, and also if you listen to our ETC episode, um, I don't know what number it's, if you go to fortlinegaming.org, click on chapter tactics, I've actually got links to all of our episodes, the ETC, the ETC episode explains all of, all of that. Uh, but yeah, because of the nature of being able to kind of pick your opponent or, or, uh, kind of manipulate who you're going to be playing, uh, you can skew lists to be radical in one way or another. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a lot more spamming going on, for example. Uh, but anyways, uh, so Jeff Brown had an Imperium list. He was using Admech Gryia Detachment, the the rusty the rusty seventeen with two Tech Priest Engine Seers and three squads of Skatari Rangers. Uh, an Imperial Knights House Crass Detachment with one Knight Crusader, one Knight Gallant, and one Knight Castellan. And then uh, finally, a Cadian Battalion with uh, three by three mortars and your loyal thirty two, so three infantry squads and two company commanders. So uh, really, a really basic Imperium Knight list, <clears throat> and then we had Mister Dustin Henshaw running Gene Steeler Colt. He had a Bladed Cog Battalion with a Rusted Claw Bata- Brigade with a Rusted Claw Brigade and a Vanguard with uh, Aberrants, Kellermorphs, whole bunch of Neophyte Hybrids, uh, Jackals, and then some Heavy Weapon Mortar teams and a bunch of Acolyte Hybrids in the Bladed Cog Detachment. It was a very infantry heavy. Uh, Gene Steer Colt list, and then we had T.J. Lanigan running Chaos Demons, Death Guard, and Thousand Sons, with uh, bringing 60 Plague Bearers, 30 Pink Horrors, Poxbringer, Sloppity Biopimp, Piper, and the Changecaster, and then a 1, 2, 3, 3 Demon Princes, 2 of each, 1 looks like just a, I, he actually doesn't have the, he actually is a Death Guard Demon Prince, there you go, 2 Foul Blight Spawn, and then a large unit of Light Lord Terminators with Armon. Tim Deepleafs was running Eldari. Uh, he's running Eldar and Harlequins. It looks like he had three Night Spinners and a Warlock. And Sean, I don't, I don't know. Are Night Spinners cool tech, or I don't really see them very often? Um, they're indirect fire, and they're the only indirect fire Eldar have, basically. Um, they're. I don't think much of them, uh, but there's a handful of things they can do. Uh, I assume that he is bringing them as tech against a specific kind of list, but I'm not sure what offhand. Maybe uh, it's in his Alitok Battalion. So he's got four Wave Serpents, uh, three Guardians, Wafarseer, Nautok Skyrunner, and then a large unit of seven Dark Reapers uh, with four mm. Wave Serpents. So he probably hides everything in vehicles. Um, those Wave Serpents, I know, can be very, very tough to kill for certain armies, almost impossible to kill. So, um, you know, he pro- probably goes up against horde armies, uses the wave serpents to move block, and then uses all that shooting to just kill them all. That's my guess. I guess, but, yeah. They're also, I mean, I, I also kind of want night spinners. Um, and then he, Tim told me that they're 115 points per model. That's yeah. cheap. That's pretty cheap. Like they're inc- incredibly, incredibly cheap, especially for the chassis um, alone. Like just the wounds that you have on the table. Uh, whether or not they have to hide and, and cower. And, you know, they're going to benefit from, from Doom Jinx. Uh, they're indirect. They have long range, uh, 2d6 shots set him next to it. Does he, I assume he's got an art, art, Autark somewhere. He does. Yep. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I imagine uh, they're they're pretty handy piece of tech, and they're just cheap as chips. And then a Harlequin's Vanguard detachment with a Troopmaster, two Deathjethers, and a Solitaire, bringing out the rear. And then finally, like you said, Mr. Ridvan Scari Martinez, his uh, Dark Eldar list, and it's basically just Cabalite Warriors with Splinter Cannons and Venoms, and uh, four units of Witches, of Min Witches. Um, and uh, and three nine Raptors. Venoms. Nine Venoms. Is a, that is a lot of yeah. Venoms. Yeah, I think those guys are basically running their CTC list here. Because I think TJ list is pretty much exact. And uh, so Scarry, yeah, so they're like dirty. I also stand corrected. 12 Venoms, 3 Ravagers. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. That's uh, a lot of Venom. I'm a little curious not to see any Knights there. Was that relatively common? Because typically in the team style events, you'll see at least one Knight player. Uh, well, yeah, they had Jeff Brown um, yeah. with the Imperium list in the beginning with the, the House Crest. A single knight. knight. Yeah. Oh, he had, he had well, three no, he had the, that was the triple, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah he had okay. a Crusader, a Gallant, and a Castellan. Though, a quick Control F search for Knight brings me to 107 uh, hits, though I imagine a lot of that is Army Faction. So yeah. there there were huh. Knights there. there 107 okay. hits is probably like 20. 15 lists with knights i don't know i want to say maybe i would, I would say the right. uh, vast majority of teams um uh had had knights for sure right and, uh, represented so did I you guess see it, a drop in uh, castellans or did everybody just jump over to crass crusaders there was a lot of crass i would say um uh, but castellans were still a thing i mean especially in a team game too right like if if you can get the the matchup that they want i mean they're still gonna eat whatever's across the table from them Mm-hmm. Um, in the second place team, I think you have kind of, um, uh, you have an example of like a, a really, um, I think going to be very common, uh, ETC towel build, which is the, the nine broadside build hmm. just sort of as a first defender. Cause one of the other benefits too, is if you're, if you, you, you know, uh, when you do your first pairing, you, you know, they, they get to pick the first two tables. Um, so, you know, you can put Tau out with their nine broadsides and, and just, you know, let them try and come for them, uh, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah. There's so, a lot so, of armies that just can't handle that much shooting. So yeah. to answer your question, there were six Knight Castellans, exactly. Um, and then one list was running two Knight Castellans. This is Austin McCurdy with uh, two <laughs> Knight Castellans and a Knight Valiant in a Hawk Shroud detachment. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> The Valiant still. I think the Valiant has some play now after this FAQ. Yeah, it does. The especially as Hawk Shroud, where you can Overwatch for other people. That three D six Flamer will really put the fear in a lot of lists. Yeah, and by the way, that's the whole list. There's no loyal thirty two or anything. That's it. <laughs> that's <laughs> the list. Yeah, with the bump price bump, you can't afford them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um. And uh, anyways, so uh, that's it. Is there any other questions? While I have the list. That's an interesting kind of spread of stuff. It's always it's always neat to see the differences between the the different local variations of team tournaments like that. Yeah, yes. and also I think they're probably well. I don't actually. I don't know this. Um. Uh. The, but I would bet that they're probably playing factions that they would be on their eight man on the eight man team. So yeah. e- each one of these teams would have wiggle room for one sort of you know, variation versus the other one. Um, so if you look at the the other other side of the coin, they had um, uh, sort of a, a pure craft worlds list piloted by 
my War- Warhammer wife, Conrad Motika. Um, they had a Gene Stealer called list, uh, I guess as well. Uh, they had Chaos Demons, um, and they uh, had Tau. So I guess Tau stepped in there for for the Knights as sort of that that hard hard defender list. All right. <clears throat> So uh, let's go ahead and talk about get into our main topic. So uh, we, we're talking about the team format. We've been using probably some words that maybe you're unfamiliar with, like ETC, team format, defender, attacker, all that stuff. Um, we're not going to dive deep into the team format now and the strategies there because it, that's basically multiple episodes. Uh, however, we'll just start with the team ter- team format because we just came from a team. We just talked about a team tournament. Uh, so. The first format is the ETC or the team format style, and that's basically you get a group of three to eight. I played in three-man team tournaments, three to eight guys, a a group of guys who pick different factions. That's basically the standard. Yeah, you're typically not allowed any duplicates of a given faction. Yeah, and and the reason for that, I imagine, is so that people don't spam the same overpowered army, and you get a lot of variety and... you know, mixing and matching and depth there. Uh, but yeah, basically you have a, a three to three to eight man team uh, of people and then you don't mix factions and then you play another team and then usually you'll pick who plays each other through different methods. I know the ETC has one method and then some people like to change it up, but basically uh, you would pick someone to to uh, be the defender or they would... They would um, play whoever their opponents get to choose and then your opponents present like two lists or maybe they'll present one list and then they'll play each other and i'm i'm explaining it horribly but that's not so, the point so, so yeah, well, yeah the, you just, the basic yeah. idea is typically that one team will be the you know quote defender they will put forward either one or several lists and then the opposing team will get to choose who on their team to pair that up against and then you reverse roles until all players are paired yeah, yes. in, in ETC, you actually do a simultaneous pairing. So both teams yeah. put out a, def- the, a defender. So that actually guessing who the defender is that your opponent puts down is a big deal. And then yeah. you both put down two options to be the attacker. And then the defender chooses which one of those two li- lists they want to play against. So the defender has control of their matchup to an extent, uh, right. which makes it really, really interesting. Yeah, there's... There's a lot of fiddly variations of exactly how you pick who does what and what the timing is and stuff like that that is very important to the specifics of the event, but um, is going to vary so much between tournaments that it's really hard to sort of like describe it as an all-encompassing thing. Yes. And so for scoring for team tournaments, uh, typically, you know, the ETC has its own missions that they use to score, which we'll talk about a little bit later with custom missions. Um, But when you score, your team accumulates all of the points that you as a team score, and then you compare that with your opponent's team score, and then that's what determines the winner of the game. So you could technically bomb your game and if your teammates do really well they can carry you to a victory as val can probably attest that's probably how he's won every single one of his team games but <laughs> thanks for that pablo i was four and one this weekend but four, four and one personally i was four and one yeah four four, yeah. four losses one win no, that'd be uh, four wins one loss yeah. anyways just, just yeah, read joking. it read it and weep oh who's joking <laughs> serious this is warhammer <laughs> uh, but, uh but but yeah so and the, the reason for that is basically as as a team you can do really well and um 
you, you know, you're still kind of like hyping each other up. And it, it does lead to a sense of camaraderie. I've only been in one team tournament, um, but that was a three-person team tournament and there were three-man teams and it was a lot of fun. Uh, so it, that's the general idea there. And then for point scoring, it would depend on on um, what format you're running within the team tournament. So, mm-hmm. for example, I'm un- completely unfamiliar with the ETC missions, Val, so you're going to have to help me out here. But mm-hmm. if, if you were running an ETC team format, what would the mission scoring look like? Uh, mission scoring is done on a differential. So uh, depending on what, um, you know, if, if you win by uh, a, a margin in the uh, game, you basically subtract it from 20, so you get to a... It's always a, a, a sum of, of 20 is the points. So a 20 would be, you know, a big win for somebody. Uh, and, you know, but they, they always sum to 20 points. That's how it goes. Um, right. Yeah. And you're, you're scoring based on how much you have beaten the opponent by in a, a given game. So even if you take a loss, it can be useful to, say, minimize that loss to some degree. Um, so you get outcomes of that where like lists that are designed to kind of just lose but lose by a very small amount so you take that like 11 to 9 loss yeah um allowing your teammates to hopefully beat on some of the other lists and get some bigger victories yeah Yeah. and and the other thing um what that's big with etc is if you get tabled i believe you you give your opponent maxims maximum points right once upon a time not anymore so okay interesting yeah um we could just do you want to do the we could talk in DC format? I mean, yeah, let's go ahead. We may as well talk about the yeah, because they they use a combination of Maelstrom and Rulebook, don't they? Yeah, so they 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 take their cues, especially since eighth eighth edition has started. They take their cues very heavily from chapter approved, so they will incorporate uh, a lot of the either the new mission designs. Um, uh, certainly, all of them use um, the the new deployment style. I guess the new old deployment mm. style. Um, and, um, yeah, so you have a, basically fundamentally you have an eternal war. Sometimes even they'll take elements from more than one eternal war mission. And then you'll have one of the maelstrom variations at the same time. So using the cards, um, this cause, this is a great bone of contention, uh, with regards to ETC format, because there is that random card draw element. However, they've also brought in, um, uh, the uh, ability to remove six cards from your deck. So you can just pick six cards and take them out. And on top of that, you have um, the ability to discard a card that's impossible to do. So those cards, you can just leave in the deck because if you can't do it, you'll 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 be able to get rid of it. For example, uh, kill a flyer or something with the fly keyword, and the opponent has has none on the um, in their army. Um, so that's that's um, a way that mitigates it. It kind of gives it now to me a feel of the old ITC champions missions. Um, where they had a random maelstrom. So sometimes you are going to get a bad draw. Uh, but for the most part, you know, there's there's going to be objectives that you can achieve, and it's not nearly as, as brutal as, say, last year uh, would have been, where, you know, you can just get a bad bad draw the whole game, and uh, and there's nothing you can do about it. I feel like that's really yeah. mitigated now. And, and that's actually a common theme you'll you'll see across all formats that use the maelstrom missions. Um, in the you know for the sake of competitiveness, they they try to limit the variance that you see in the card deck. And so a lot of times you'll see the tournament formats implement like like Val said, like you you discard cards, you get to modify your deck in one way or another. Um, yeah. you get to cha- choose which deck you want if you want to choose like the Space Marine deck or whatever. So um, yeah, you can't. Act, it was actually it's just the standard deck that they use because. Okay. Um, they're they're not really balanced, or I don't think there's really a competitive balance 
frame of mind on the Maelstrom decks. The Um, faction-specific decks are horribly unbalanced. Yeah, so the... uh, yeah, so I think that's that's basically it on on, on Maelstrom cards. It, it, it is a random element, but there's also always a strong Eternal War. And because they're using the chapter-approved Eternal War versions now, a lot of the times that's a progressive element throughout the game, as opposed mm-hmm. to endgame. Sometimes a combination of progressive and endgame um, Eternal War objectives. So it was it was very interesting, and you had to stay on your your toes with it. I found the bookkeeping kind of kind of on the high end, especially in the mission six. Um, wherein you have to basically you draw two cards and your opponent can deny one of the two. Um, so that in theory, I think also limits the luck of the draw. However, it, you know, when you're trying to get through a game, you've got to both be on that time on the clock. You know what I mean? Like both players have to be Mm -hmm. present in doing that. Um, so there, there are weird ones, uh, that, you know, maybe are a bit. I was going to say generally, uh, how much time do you guys get for, uh, you know, being at the bookkeeping and stuff? How much time do you guys generally get for stuff like that? So in this tournament, I mean, in the ETC, if you're actually there, um, they run four-hour rounds, and they do a six-round tournament over three days. So um, in this format, we did five rounds, uh, three hours for the whole round. So that included pairings, Ooh, which wow. gener- oh, that's fast. Ge- generally speaking, though, that meant we were getting to the table with about 245. Um, you know, pairings, pairings didn't take too, too long. Um, so I didn't feel uncomfortable. I mean, I played every game on a clock personally, uh, and I felt that was very, very helpful just to make sure that we were, you know, setting the pace and, and getting through the games. Uh, I played to the last second every single game, but uh, yeah, I uh, did get through them. So yeah, and and um, <clears throat> real quick for our listeners who are maybe newer to missions and formats and point scoring, uh, end of game objectives are scored out at the end of the game. Um, so it would you would look at what how many units you've killed out of your opponent's army or how many objectives you are currently holding at the end of the game and then that's how it would be scored um you know different missions you give you different points depending on what it is but that's they're basically scored at the end of the game whereas progressive scoring is points are scored at the end of every game turn um which is i think is a little more common um, well, actually, I think the mix is probably the most common, but it, I think it varies a lot. Like you, yeah. you see some that favor one, same favor the other. Um, even even the base rulebook has moved towards a combination, but I don't think there's a clear cut advantage to one of the other. And actually, even even some of them had it set up so that was the start of the game turn. And there's also uh, ways to score points in in etc missions. There's also a kill point differential for every game, which is yeah. so there's kill points in every game. Um, and that's up to a maximum of six. So say, uh, you know, I kill five of my opponent's units, he kills four, I get six extra points. And then there's also the classic tertiaries of uh, you know, uh, first strike. Uh, so not classic, because it's not first blood, it's first strike. So you have to kill a unit in your first turn, slay the warlord and line breaker. So there's lots of different ways to get points. And the end game, I, I, I will admit that the end game is quite um, interesting. You know, because, you know, you are often, you know, playing towards, at the very least, you know, maximizing your line breaker, uh, trying to pick off the Warlord if you can. And then especially if you have to make sure you're standing on the right objectives when the game ends. You also have the um, rulebook mechanic of, of random uh, mission length. So, you know, after turn five, you're rolling on a three up, it can end. So you want to be in position to win on, you know, the the, the uh, sixth or seventh. So at the end of the fifth turn, just in case there is no sixth or seventh. Um, yeah, I failed four to jumps, um, 
in my last two games in the uh, sixth and seventh turns to get my linebreaker points. Yeah. So, so actually, I think that's a, that's a good segue into the next format, um, which would be book missions. Uh, so if you're not playing a team tournament or a team tournament format like ETC, um, you may be playing a uh, book or a format where you're basically playing book missions or out of uh, chapter approved or the warmer 40k basic rulebook, uh, depending on your TO. That's another way people commonly play tournament games of 40k, um, though usually they'll amend certain things. And, and so... The book missions are are they vary they're differently. I actually don't know them all, so I can't help you on the no. specifics. But I do know that they all have three very common objectives, which are the tertiary objectives that Val mentioned. So they each have first blood, slay the warlord, and linebreaker as as kind of like your points that that everyone can score, um, no, no matter what the mission is. Well, so, and it's actually worth noting that there are 18 of them at this point, because there's yes, six yes. in the main rulebook and then six more in each of the two chapter approved. Uh, base rulebook and first chapter approved use first blood. Chapter approved 2018, the most recent one, uses first strike. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's um, the most the, the most common place also too that um, you see this uh, these missions used is actually the Warhammer GTs and Heats which are coming yes. um, uh, a lot more free. I guess North America has them, Australia has it now, uh, mm -hmm. and obviously in the UK and in, in in Warhammer World in Nottingham they would use the Eternal War as their tournament mission. So if you want to see what GW how they design a tournament mission, it's really the Eternal War mission set. Yeah. It's they also tend to be somewhat more common in Europe, although certainly not universal. Yes, and uh, <clears throat> for Maelstrom, Maelstrom missions are also in the book. Uh, Maelstrom yeah. missions are do tend to be progressive scoring. Um, well, I, I by don't nature. know. If, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if any of there are any are there actually end of game scoring any of the Maelstrom nope. missions. Um, I mean, they they have to be progressive because you score cards each turn. Exactly. Uh, so when you're going into a book, a tournament format event, uh, you want to know either if they're going to be using Maelstrom missions, uh, Eternal War missions, or a combination of the two. Uh, and then just keep in mind that the Maelstrom missions will be progressive. You will need a deck or or maybe not. Maybe the TL will supply a deck. I know some do do that or they'll supply a list. Uh, like a what There's the a chart ITC in the rule book last too. Year. There's also a chart in the rule books. So you don't mm -hmm. need technically need the cards although yeah. i will say that the bookkeeping with the chart and the rulebook oh, can get yeah, really painful it's pretty nightmarish because <laughs> then you're having to like re-roll duplicate results and it just gets messy yeah it can, it can get pretty messy but you want to know if you're using maelstrom missions or eternal war missions and eternal war missions do tend to vary although i think most of them are end of game scoring is that, is that, um, that kind of how they're split? That is not really true with chapter approved in the mix. It used um, to be. It yeah. is a, so all six of the base rule book, Eternal War, are end of game scoring. Uh, but the chapter approved ones are about a 50-50 split between progressive and uh, end of game, although they favor end of game slightly. Okay. Um. It's also worth noting that all of the Eternal War, or sorry, all of the Maelstrom missions are six objectives, uh, because they obviously need all six, but the Eternal War objective numbers vary between one and six objectives, uh, because you know, no one really likes it, but Relic is definitely in there. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the sound of the Relic right there. Yeah, seriously. Uh, 
But if I mean, if if you are playing Eternal War missions, you need to be ready for that. And so you do see some interesting quirks of that sort of thing. Like, it is very important that you have an infantry character in an Eternal War battle. Uh, because if you get the relic, you need a character who can pick that relic up and carry it away. Yeah. Oh, that sounds awful. With chapter, it's, it's a thing. With chapter approved, um, there's uh, there's no relic in any of the chapter approved missions that I'm aware of. So that's just the rule book, mm. Eternal War one. I feel like there is a pseudo relic mission. It's not the single objective worth the whole game, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there was one of the Eternal Wars, but I might be remembering that wrong. I could be thinking of last year. Yeah, when, when I was at Warzone Atlanta last year, I came to the table on, they, they have a mo very modified relic mission. And I got yeah. to the table and he was playing Ravenwing. And I was like, what? You, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't pick up the relic? He's like, no. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that is that is one of the quirks of the formats. Is like you'll get that in everything, but there's little things like that that can make a big difference. So make sure you read the missions for whatever tournament you're going to. Because if you suddenly discover like, oh, only infantry units can score this one, you could be in for a really bad time. And I don't know how true this is anymore, uh, but one other thing to note with book missions in general is the scoring is usually only one point scored, and um, <clears throat> it can get very swingy depending on First Blood, which which was a common theme in 7th edition when you would uh, when there would be only two objectives, and then First Blood, Linebreaker, Warlord. And so the usual yeah. scenario would be you and your opponent would both get Linebreaker, because Linebreaker is fairly easy to get. Neither of you would get Slay the Warlord, because you both pick intelligent warlords uh and then uh you're you know if there's you, two two objectives yeah. you're each holding your own objective and so it comes down to first blood so that can happen in, in the book missions like i said i don't know how if chapter proof fixes that i'm assuming it does it's it's more of a problem in the ones that have small numbers of objectives yes. like the relic or even just a two objective one chapter approved typically has either more objectives or more bonus points that can be scored other places such as through killing units over the course of the game and stuff like that so it tends to be much less focused on first blood uh, and so when you're going to those, just make sure that you're building a list that can try and get first blood turn one or first strike turn one. Yeah, whichever it may be in that yeah. particular mission. Yeah, if you don't get that, that, that can be a serious problem if you want to try and win. Mm -hmm. All right. So <clears throat> uh, let's go ahead and move on to the ITC missions or um, the ones uh, we most commonly talk about. And that's just because... You know, we talk about a lot of ITC events, and um, also I am a part of the ITC, uh, being working for Frontline Gaming. Um, so the ITC missions, when people talk about the ITC missions, there's generally some uh, misconceptions about what the ITC missions are. So there's the ITC, which is the broad tournament circuit, uh, and then there's ITC events. Now, not all ITC events have or use the ITC missions. Right, and so the ITC isn't act technically a format. So when I talk about the ITC, I'm not talking about the ITC as a whole. I'm talking about the champions missions on the FrontlineGaming.org website. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to FrontlineGaming.org, hover over the ITC tab, and go to 40K uh, 2018 Season 40K Tournament Formats. Uh, click on that tab, and then go to the champions missions, and mm -hmm. that's what I am talking about. So there's there's uh, the ITC as a whole, and then there's the ITC format, which isn't the ITC tournaments. It's the Champions Mission specifically. 
So there, there's no FAQ, and I cannot stress that enough. I, I get a phone call every day from people asking um, why they have to use the ITC missions. Um, <laughs> you know, like they want to be an ITC event, but they don't want to use our missions. And we're like, okay, well, you don't have to use our missions. You can use whatever tournament format you want. But the champions missions are what we put out for the people who maybe don't want to think about what missions they want to use. Well, and that have, and also that if you want to use a tournament format that is relatively tried and true, uh, I think the the champions missions are a good uh, starting place for that. Um, they're not perfect, but they're they've been tested quite a bit. They've been used in hundreds of tournaments, so uh, the the most obvious kinks have been ironed out. Yes. Uh, so, uh, I, also, I I'm not. 100% positive. I think they are the most common mission format in Warhammer at this point. I, I don't, I, I would say yes, but I, I you know, I don't want to come off as an ITC homer. I, I, no, I, I but I say think safely, yes. Like, say, almost, I mean, but from... almost all tournaments on the West Coast use them. A lot of tournaments on the East Coast, although certainly not all, do. Uh, and it's growing in popularity quite a bit in Europe. So I would say it's probably the most popular. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's catching on for sure. I think most of the, play, the tournaments that I go to now, you know, around here in the south or the west, it's it's almost all exclusively ITC. Maybe with a minor change for like, I know some people yeah. are still on the uh, the Yugo Igo deployment. They don't want to use the other one where you deploy your whole army. But, but sure. that's probably the most I've seen them change. Yeah. Uh, Val? Um, no, I, I tend to agree that ITC seems to be a default tournament format. It's um, it's also, I, I mean, just because of their repeatability, it's also something that um, you can get very uh, in a rhythm with. It's it's mm -hmm. rather than um, a lot of tailored style missions, it's great that there is some uniformity in what the competitive format is. So, But yeah, around here, I mean, obviously there's the ETC format event that I just talked about. Um, but even Capital City Bloodbath switched to, to ITC missions, I think, last year. Um, you know, the tournament I run, TGX is ITC. Most of the RTTs are ITC. It's it's definitely a dominant format in, in North America. I would mm -hmm. say probably still UK um, is is largely ETC format um, yeah. rather than ITC, although it's it's been growing. Uh, actual, actual, not only ITC points, but ITC format events have been increasing quite a bit um in in probably even the last year or two. Oh, for okay. sure yeah because and that's true in australia and a number of other places as well yes yeah. so the way the itc missions work or the champions mission work is that there's our primary objectives and secondary objectives for scoring so primary objectives are all you score them every turn no matter what mission you're playing and they are do you hold an objective do you did you kill something and then are you holding more than your opponent and did you kill some something did you kill more than your opponent and that's true every all the six turns and then there are secondary missions that you get to personally pick yourself uh, and you didn't tend to tailor those towards the matchup or towards your army in particular uh, and so yeah. there's there's a list of them. I'm not going to go through all of them, um, but just to give you an example, recon is probably one of the more common ones that are picked and that's if as long as you have a unit, in one in each quadrant, if you split a table into four quadrants, um, if you only as you have a unit in each quadrant, you get one point, and then each secondary is a maximum of four points. So you could conceivably score twelve points off your secondaries, or four points for the three secondaries you pick, plus uh, four points a turn for six turns, and then 
Of course, depending on the mission you play, there's also a bonus point, which tends to be harder to get, and that can be a fifth point scored on your primary objective uh, if you achieve it. And so one would be if you control like or contest all of the objectives on the board on like a six objective board. So it's a, the bonus objectives tend to be harder to score. And so the idea behind the champion's missions is that you you constantly have to worry about um, killing more than your opponent, holding more, what's going on, while also maintaining your secondary. So it's it's very fluid, and there, there's meant to be a lot of points scored. Um, though I I do see um, a lot of lists tailored towards maybe always being able to kill more than your opponent, or maybe deny your opponent specific points, which is. Um, which just kind of like push certain lists, for example, uh, lists that have a lot of tough, tough, large units like Plague Bearers lists. They don't give up a lot of kill or kill more, and they don't also kill or kill more as well. And so they tend to make games kind of grindy. So you do kind of see those lists more in ITC, whereas in ETC, you'll see a lot more killy, spammy lists that focus on wiping out your opponent because last year, if you tabled your opponent, you got max points. So kind of, you know, and that's kind of an example of different formats that uh, kind of affect the way people build their lists. Take a breath, Pablo. All right. <laughs> yeah, ITC is very progressive in nature, uh, although not all of the secondaries are progressive. All of the primaries are, and it's very much about what happens each turn rather than what happens at the end of game or sort of as a cumulative sense. Yeah, I remember when when they first rolled out, I felt they were like kind of like a race almost, you know, where, mm -hmm. you know, both players have to have to keep up and, um, you know, some are stronger finishers, some are stronger out of the gate. But um, I, I really, really enjoy that because um, unless, you know, you're getting real blown out <laughs> on one end of the spectrum, uh, the games are very, very exciting and can have, although a lot of points are scored, uh, they do tend to have uh, narrow margins. Uh, so I think uh, yeah. I, I just I do really am a fan of the of, of the format. Yeah, I like the way that you know. There's so many different formats now that if you ever get stale army listen to you know, so like you're stuck with your army and you don't like it, going to a different type of format can really change how you look at some units, how you play your games. It's really I always encourage people to try a different format, or if you have a local tourney that just do all they do is etc or all they do is itc like mix it up and do something different and you'll be surprised on some of the lists that not only you'll be facing but some of the stuff you can come up with always trying to fix it up yeah that's that's something we haven't really touched on a whole lot here but uh for as much as these formats can kind of sound fairly similar like oh this is another progressive format like the details can really change what kind of armies you see and really change the viability of certain armies. Um, so as John mentions, like that, that can really open things up if you change your format a little bit. It's also good to develop um, yourself as a player too. I mean, when you come up absolutely. with different tactics or using units, you wouldn't even think about using because this format's mm -hmm. good. Like you said, uh, you know, relic. Yeah, no one, yep. everybody hates relic. But if you know you're going to play it, you know you need infantry. And there's some infantry that might be better than others you never really thought of. Like, mandrakes would probably be really good for relic. But nobody really yep. uses mandrakes, but mandrakes would be awesome for relic. Yeah, it it's a format change can be very good for you as a player to kind of shake you out of your, your doldrums, so to speak. Well, do we want to move that on into the sort of uh, honorable mention, the all the, the more specific formats that individual yeah. tournaments use? 
yeah yeah and so so these these tor- tournament formats um they're they're not exact it's not like they're unpopular or um there are worse formats necessarily um though they do tend to be a little less common than the itc format and the book missions uh and even the etc or the team formats um and that's the uh uh, Adepticon format, the Nova format, the Renegade Open format, and now the Warzone Atlanta formats. And these are still very big formats that are definitely worth mentioning, but they do tend to be a little more regional. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so, uh, for example, the Nova format is very, very popular on the East Coast, where, of course, the Nova it happens. Uh, and just like uh, Val, or uh, I think it was Sean mentioned that the ITC format is a lot more popular on the West Coast, and that's because the ITC originates on the West Coast, where we uh, operate out of San Diego. So, and that does tend to happen for formats as well. So, if you're unfamiliar, or if you're unsure of which format is most popular in your region, you definitely want to go to some of the events in your region that are close to your area uh, and just ask around. And um, typically, events near each other will play the same formats because they have mm-hmm. a lot of the same people going to those events. And so I'm going to use the Renegade format first as an example because I really like what they've built uh, in the Midwest GT tournament circuit. And so what that is is a group of TOs that that run tournaments in the Midwest. Uh, they all got together and formed kind of like the first real to play group where they all got together and they all went to each other's events and helped each other out and that's the midwest tournament circuit and that's basically how matt root got his stripes um on his way to his first itc uh championship so matt root dominated the midwest tournament circuit he had all those events in the midwest like the midwest conquest the flying monkey the iron halo etc uh and so they developed their own lists uh the renegade open lists uh which or the renegade lists which are named after the renegade open and so in this format uh you get uh, a primary mission you get four mission tokens given to you at the beginning of the tournament and then each one stands for four primary mission types uh, and each of those is, are different one is revolves around control objective markers one revolves around characters and destroying characters one revolves around um, controlling objectives outside of your deployment zone uh, and then the final one revolves around just killing your opponent's army and um <clears throat> it you also have secondary objectives uh that everyone gets access to like line breaker slay the warlord uh hold the line uh solo blood which is basically if you kill something and your opponent doesn't kill anything and uh the primary missions are the bulk of the points so you you can score a maximum of 40 points the primary missions are 32 points and the secondary missions are a maximum of 8 points and, and so so yeah. Oh, Sorry. I was going to say and I I believe you can't pick the same primary mission twice. Uh, uh something like I that. I believe how it works is you you are given the four mission tokens each day and you play I believe three rounds each day. So you will play three of those four missions, but then they will uh, refresh so to speak for the second day of the event. Yes. That's what it is. Um, so you can avoid your worst mission and just not play that because, and also worth noting, um, as part of this format, this uses asymmetrical missions where you and your opponent are playing, in all likelihood, different missions at the same time. So you are trying to achieve very different things in the Renegade format. Yeah. And so <clears throat> games can get very, can get, uh, not racy, but can get very, um, different that like uh if you and your opponent are you doing completely different missions then the, your opponent might just 
be wanting to hold objectives in one zone and you might have to hold objectives in another zone or your opponent might just be focused on killing you and you have to hold objectives which can obviously uh be a little harder for you so it it really favors armies that that either rely on specific strategies like kill more or rely on mobile basically they they favor balanced armies armies that can do a little bit of everything um that try their best to be really good at one of the or two of the tokens now i am I'm, I'm speaking from third hand knowledge i've never actually i haven't played the new renegade it, missions since the renegade open began it might be better not to make any wide pronouncements about a, a, right. a mission you've never played before D- dave armand <laughs> is is the the renegade open guy i'm sure he'll forgive me if i if i stepped if i put my foot in my mouth it's a pd pop thing so yeah anyways so uh that's it that's the those are the renegade open missions um <clears throat> Uh, John, do you have any? Are you familiar with them? Do you, have you played them a lot? I've, you know, I played them. One, we actually went once, and it was definitely a breath of fresh air because it's really different. You know, like you said, you can be playing one mission completely. You can be saving that one token. Like, oh man, if I get matched up against this guy, I need this token, and you don't mm-hmm. want to use it. It can completely change how you approach a mission, or even a deployment, uh, or even if you're going ahead of time, how you build your list. You know, you might be building your list around I need this one token. And if I play that matchup that's just going to screw me over, I'm going to have this token and my list is designed around this one token. And vice versa, where you just like, I'm never going to use this one token and then I don't going to put it to the side. Yeah, I think that ability to pick and choose how you need to play given matchups creates some very interesting choices. Val, do you have anything more to add to the Renegade Open? No, actually, I mean, Midwest is a little inaccessible to me, so um, I've never actually <laughs> gotten out there. But I have heard, I have heard the TOs uh, talking. I mean, for for years now, um, uh, going back, um, especially around when the Renegade, Renegades open open is coming, and they've always had a very um, well. I mean, they always talk about a very data driven approach. Um, they've always tried to drive um, the speed of the game through the mission format as well. So, like, they uh, they were always trying to ensure that games were finishing. Uh, I know they optimized the ITC missions in the previous edition to try and get games to their, their conclusion. They were quite proud about the results. So, I'm sure whatever mission set that they're doing is, is actually going to be very, very well thought out. And um, uh, it sounds really cool, to be honest with you. Yeah, they always yeah. sell out too. I mean, it's like I've always seen there's a lot of a group of our guys down here in El Paso that they could drive out there yearly, and it's it's like it's always a full house. There's always good people player, well known players, and it's a completely different format from the norm. And uh, people tend to mm-hmm. like it. I think people go there just like I said to mix it up a little bit and have a different outlook on their not only their own list but you know how they might use some units. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So uh, the next missions, we'll talk about the Nova Open missions. Uh, these missions revolve around primary and secondary objectives. Uh, the primary objectives, you basically, you get to pick whether you want to do progressive or endgame for each for each uh, round. So at the start of the game, you'll figure out if you want to do endgame or progressive. You pick one of those, and then your primary mission, you can only score a maximum of 18 points. 
And uh, so uh, from there, and there'll be other things depending on the round that'll add more to your bonus points. So you could conceivably score more points than 18 points on your primary mission. However, once you hit 18 points maximum, you won't be able to score any more points to your primary. So sometimes people will max out their primary early, like on progressive missions, for example, where that's pretty common, uh, and then start focusing on their secondary missions or their tailored ops missions. And so that's... Uh, you you choose 12 one of 12 secondaries <clears throat> and then and then basically uh 12 points maximum uh and then you it's similar to the way the itc champions missions work um where you know they've got like strike the rank and file which is destroy enemy troops etc cetera, etc cetera. and you kind of tailor that to the matchup specifically and then mm -hmm. uh they usually have a special tertiary objective that you can score every time uh last year i believe it was butcher's bill um, which is whenever you'd kill two units in a turn, you'd get one point, and that's a four points maximum. Uh, this time, it's the secondary two is points destroyed. So if you destroy 500 points of the enemy army, you get one point. You get one point if you destroy a thousand points, and then finally, you destroy if you destroy 1500 points, you get two points. So maxing out um, points destroyed can be either really easy or really hard, uh, depending on your opponent's army. Yeah. <clears throat> Nova and ITC actually have kind of an interesting relationship because they've been sort of converging on each other over the last like four to five years as the formats have kind of like they share a lot of ideas and they've gotten closer and closer to each other because like you can see that both Nova and ITC use a primary mission that is either objective or kill based uh, and then you have a secondary mission where you're picking one thing off a list and scoring points on that and then you have the opportunity for a few bonus points over the course of a game uh they're not identical but of all the formats i would say they are probably the most similar um simply because the the tos and the people in charge of them communicate a lot and share a lot of ideas and just to be be careful so that we're not doing the um warhammer stole all of starcraft's good ideas thing um <laughs> you know itc has uh i think um you know this the sort of spiritual cousin of of itc is definitely nova i think that sort of uh, mission tailoring type design, the picking of secondaries to you know match the opponent that you're presented with, I think kind of originates with 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 the Nova. Um, uh, you can guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure that's how it went down. And you know, Nova actually was even in the ITC pack uh, officially uh, towards the end of seventh edition. So yeah. you could they they definitely cross pollinated. Uh, the ITC format obviously I think is the more popular one, but the Nova also tends to reward killing stuff less. Uh, by design, uh, I guess the idea there is that if you kill something, you're already getting utility out of it. So a lot, it's a lot more about um, you know other types of object objectives and creative ways of standing in different places on the table and and you, you know the use of even engineers were which are now in the champions mission as a is a nova uh, format um, concept. So a lot of that stuff has been sort of changed or refined and used in the ITC champs missions because I think they're all fundamentally awesome ideas. Yeah, I don't know if it actually originated with Nova because when Nova first comes about in like early-ish 5th edition, like there were just a trillion different formats just scattered all over the world. So I don't know how much of that uh, Mike invented himself and how much of it he took as inspiration from other things, but they were, I would say it's definitely the tournament that popularized a lot of that sort of thing uh, and brought it to the, the main public's attention. And then the uh, 
INAT and ITC, I think, took pages from that as they kind of progressed through their development of missions. A more yeah. diplomatic statement could not have been made. Perfectly, mm. <laughs> perfectly put, sir. And, and um, <clears throat> that might be a, Mr. Ambassador. <laughs> that might be a topic for another day because I I love hearing about the history of like Tournament 40K and like the old days of like the Throne of War GT and the Ard Boys. Oh boy! And a lot I know, yeah, a lot of a lot of a. Uh, you know, missions and and kind of like uh, communities have stemmed or risen from those old events, and you can definitely see where their influence is, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's pretty cool. It's it's you know, I think one day I'll get uh, Reese and Mike Brandt on or some you know some of the 40k community staples that have been around a long time, um, and then we can talk old 40k tournament stuff. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, we'll we're talking about. Influencers, I think, um, well, Adepticon missions, I don't even know how they work. Um, But (laughs) well, okay, okay, hold on, hold on. So, first off, uh, Adepticon missions are uh, missions that have been around a very long time. Mm -hmm. So, the Adepticon tournament has is is definitely a staple of the community. And one thing I've always noticed about the Adepticon missions is though typically the Nova and the ITC crowd. So, okay, so so we're gonna we're gonna rewind a little bit <laughs> hold on backpedal uh, harder pablo I, I, i'm I, I do have a point trust me i wasn't going the direction you guys thought i was going but to rewind a little bit uh even within the competitive 40k community there are factions that tend to be more competitive and there are factions that tend to be a little uh less competitive or, or they've got different mindsets on the way the tournament should be run Right, and so and that comes in on the way they format their events in general. Um, so like uh, certain events will weigh battle point or best overall points more towards uh, they their event winners will be weighed more towards best overall and hobby scores, whereas other events will have like a clear best general, a best overall, a best painted, and it's just they're they're run differently. So I'm not saying which one's better or worse. Uh, Adepticon falls in the best overall category or the. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to say casuals because I know that's not the word, um, but the the uh, Warhammer a different pageantry mindset. No, I don't know about Warhammer pageantry, uh, but the the reason why I'm I'm coming full circle on this is uh, down here in San Diego. There's two groups of people. There's people who play ITC missions and uh, generally go to like the Las Vegas Open and listen to my podcast and uh, you know kind of have a, a pulse on the competitive 40k community. And then there's a larger group of the community who don't really listen to the competitive sides, but they watch a lot of hobbying stuff, right? So they follow a lot of mini wargaming, you know, the long war. Uh, they kind of consume 40k as a whole uh, more from a hobby at the long perspective. War. Hey, Kenny, Kenny Boucher can sling dice with the best of them tactically. I am not doubting the, his skill. The point is, is that <clears throat> those players do tend to focus more on the hobby holistically. Uh, and not just specifically the tournament aspect. And there's definite crossover. I'm not saying that if you're an ITC guy, you're bad at painting. And I'm not saying that if you're a guy who likes the hobbying, that you're bad at playing 40k. That's not true. I'm not trying to divide the community here. The point is, is here in San Diego, the people who who uh, focus more on the hobby side, uh, they tend to favor Adepticon missions or um, <clears throat> Warzone Atlanta missions, or uh, other missions like book missions, and they tend to shy away from ITC missions. And that's just that's just a fact. That's not. I'm, I'm not trying to make a statement here. It's just a simple fact down here in the San Diego community that I've you know experienced for five or six years now. However long I've been playing 40k. 
What, so, what Pablo is attempting to say in the most roundabout manner possible by talking about San Diego to bring up Adepticon, uh, naturally, as the two things are so close to each other, um, is that Adepticon's format tends to be less sensitive to changes and additions because they are not as concerned with making it the absolute pinnacle of competition. They have other aims. Okay, and I pulled up the Adepticon 2019 missions, uh, and they are similar to ITC and Nova in that there are primary objectives and secondary objectives. The primary objectives are uh, <clears throat> kind of focused around uh, Eternal War missions. Um, you get two victory points for contested objectives. Uh, some objectives are worth one point, and you can get a maximum of 30 victory points. And so that's mission dependent, depending on wh what mission you're running. And then the secondary objectives are similar across all games which is a modified kill point so for every 100 points worth of enemy units destroyed by the end of the game um, you get one point and then that's a maximum of 12 points and then they have the tertiary objectives linebreaker solo blood and vanguard which is have a have more than one of your units entirely within your opponent's deployment zone so kind of like kind of like a progressive linebreaker um, oh, so yeah. they took away warlord <clears throat> and i i it's all coming back to me now um, from my Adepticon trip last year. I, I The Adepticon missions do kind of tend to focus more or kind of stem from the book missions in that uh, kill points, it, they still use kill points, which is not something you see too common. I know Nova has the small four points that you can get from kill points, but kill points is more of like a, a book mission thing or an older style uh, mission. The ITC has since moved away from kill points a little bit to progressive killing. Um but kill points and then uh, tertiary linebreaker, soul blood, and vanguard. Which yeah, was changed the, from last year. The primary is always some kind of objective-based mission. Yes, and then the secondary is based on killing up your opponent's models. Although unlike ITC, it is cumulative over the course of a game rather than being a round-by-round -round determination, uh, which kind of like skews things a little bit in terms of how you're actually trying to achieve it. Um, but you can see, like, even for the Adepticon missions being quote-unquote different, uh, they're actually still fairly similar overall to ITC and the other stuff. Uh, and this is that kind of, like, convergent evolution I mentioned before, is just, like, the formats are becoming closer to each other as people realize what works and what doesn't. Exactly. <clears throat> uh, and... Uh, finally, the Warzone Atlanta missions, which are missions that are gaining a lot of popularity in the South, um, mm -hmm. and as Warzone Atlanta grows and becomes a bigger and better event. Uh, Val, I've never been to the Warzone Atlanta. I don't have the best general here, so you are our WZA liaison. So yeah, the Warzone Atlanta has kind of become almost a, a circuit unto its own. There's, um, uh, I know they have one Warzone Gigabytes. I'm going to one called Warzone Atomic Empire next uh, hmm. weekend uh, run by uh, Horton Doughton and oh my gosh I can't believe I blanked on his name a really wonderful guy um, <laughs> uh, the missions um, are have been developed over years and iterated um, and maintained sort of a, a similar uh, feel throughout they, they're really wordy but they're kind of cool so usually they'll involve um, a primary or, or a, a objective that would be um, either kill points based or objectives based. Um, so those are basically the two key mechanics almost all of the missions will use. Um, so it's um, you either got to kill something specific or you have to um, you know literally just kill 
um, the majority of an army. Um, they have unusual versions of, of, of the relic mission, like one called Red Rover, in which you actually have to take the relic uh, from your deployment zone into your opponent's de deployment zone and vice versa, uh, which actually makes the relic kind of fun to me. I've, uh, I've enjoyed that. So they're, they're, they use a lot of um, what would be familiar mechanics, um, but have sort of uh, developed their own style missions with them. John, have you ever, have you ever gotten out to a Warzone event? I haven't yet, although I will be attending Warzone Atlanta later this year. So oh, I've been kind of playing around with the missions and getting some practice in, but I don't have any tournament experience with them yet. So we'll see did how I, that plays out. Did I characterize them somewhat accurately? Mm, I think it's... <laughs> they are arguably the most different of all of these, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um as you mentioned, they are very wordy, but I think that's because they they kind of like something like maybe like War Machine or something like that. They're very precise in their wordings. Uh, mm -hmm. There's not a lot of ambiguity there, so they're very careful about how they spell out everything working. It's almost like uh, they're written by a lawyer. Weird, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do think that they do benefit a lot from that very like careful, precise wording and very specific intention for how they're intended to be played. Mm -hmm. um, as to how they compare to ITC and Nova and Renegade, I don't think I could really hazard to make that determination. Unfortunately, I, I would I would say that if you if you really developed the concepts of the rule book eternal war missions and and like took those up up to a, a an actually balanced competitive level and also a mission pack that tries based on its missions to drive a, a diverse meta so mm -hmm. um so that army builds have to come equipped with enough tools to actually complete the mission objectives um i think that's kind of where you get with warzone missions they're 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 interesting i think the the um, because each mission is also very different, which is something I'm becoming increasingly less familiar with. Even ETC is fundamentally it's you know a maelstrom and a, an internal war. You got an end game and you got your, your progressive. That's that's what's going on. With yeah. with with the war zone stuff, you know sometimes it'll be an eternal war, but also mixed with you know table quarters um, and like I said, different ways of calculating kill points. So. It's a lot yeah. of the Eternal War mission mechanics, but just um, really tuned up. They're they're really interesting to uh, try out. If you go to the Warzone Atlanta website, which is a very nice website, you can actually download their primer pack, and I think they've got ten different missions in there. So they're always developing these missions throughout the year. Uh, worth a look. Uh, they're very um, I don't know. They're very cool. I've always enjoyed them. Yeah, I really like the look of them. I think they are very well designed. Um... But they are, they're very different from Nova or ITC in that each mission is extremely distinct. Whereas an ITC, it can kind of feel like, you know, you're not really playing all that different of a game between the different missions because it's like you have three, four, five, or six objectives. You're playing the same secondaries and all that. Uh, the Warzone missions are very different from each other. You know, if you're playing, you know, control the relic and then kill points as a secondary, that's very, very different from, like, progressive uh, objectives as a primary and then some sort of like modified table quarters as a secondary <clears throat> okay are, are there any other formats that we forgot that are larger or regional 
Think, that's all my know of. I think yeah, that's, I okay. Think, yeah, same here. I think the only thing of there's a couple that is for the most part the same as everybody else, but they'll change like one or two things. Right. On. Yeah, because there are a lot of tournaments that will tweak one of these formats. It's like we're playing ITC except whatever. Um, but these they still tend to take their broad strokes from these missions. <clears throat> okay, so we're gonna go and move on to the final the final part of the main topic, which is alternate formats or commonly seen format changes. Uh, we're not going to dive too deep into these, and uh, we'll, I'd, I'd like to get everyone's opinion on each of these. Uh, but these are things that you can see, or if you're a TO, there are things that are widely accepted as things people do, um, which, you know, is fine. Uh, I don't want to focus on weird missions or weird things that are more gimmicky, like like rots that scatter and move around mm. the board that you have to capture. Weird things like that. That's not really what I'm focusing on. These are accepted competitive formats to a degree um, that people have used and, and have been successful. All right. So the first thing that you will commonly see are different points levels. Uh, 1,750 points. I believe the last GW 40k GT, I believe that was 1,750 points yep. uh, when they yeah. announced it. Yep. Uh, and so... In in 7th edition, this is a lot bigger of a deal because of, of the rules bloat and everything. And maybe in 8th edition, we might start seeing shifts towards different points co- or different points levels that yeah. you would see in events. Um, we were but, saved by the chess clock instead, which is beautiful. <laughs> which which I, I think everyone going to raise. Anyway, then I'll talk about that. And moving on. But points, points levels um, have, in 8th edition, largely been stable. Uh, 2,000 points has been the standard, um, and I don't, I haven't really seen any of the big tournaments move away from that. Seems like it's been widely accepted. Uh, however, 1,750 points is something that you see, you you can see with the, especially with GW now announcing it. So you might start to see more tournaments. Uh, 1,500 points is something that you can see as well. I don't think you'll see anything less than 1,000 points because I believe the ITC cutoff for points is 1,000 points. So, uh, which is basically if uh, an event won't count towards ITC points if it's a thousand points or less for army restriction. So it's, uh, I was actually reading up on this because I've been looking at running some alternate point totals at our local tournaments. Uh, you cannot count as an ITC event if you are under a thousand. So a thousand is legal, but under a thousand. Uh, and you cannot be better than an RTT if you are under 1500. That's what it is. Um, I actually think that this is something I would I would like to see people experiment more with. Um, a lot of people talk about how like the game is unplayable at fifteen hundred or what have you. That isn't yeah. really true. It does change things. Um, lists do have to be very different at fifteen hundred because a fifteen hundred point list isn't just three quarters of a two thousand point list. Um, but that said, it, it's a different kind of meta and a little bit different kind of game. And it can be another way to to break things up. And if you get those doldrums like John mentioned, it's it's a way to do something different. I, uh, I, I think it's a great thing for RTTs to experiment with, especially if you yeah. have, um, you know, shorter days, you know, just the hours of operation to sort of get three rounds or four rounds in. I ran a 1,500-point RTT. I thought it was great. I, was the, I played the ringer. Um, I really enjoyed that points level, but... I think when it comes to formats, you'll find that I I like them all anyway. So, <laughs> John, do you have an experience with lower point total games? We've done a couple seventeen fifties. What I've experienced more around here is actually like different changes to you know rules or what you can use either like hmm. take out a detachment or single like single oh. faction list. Yeah, 
that's especially because that's of the way the ITC uncommon, went right now. Yeah, with, with yeah. the ITC, um, and now that you know. The vote, yeah. So they're actually starting to see more smaller RTTs come up where it's single faction lists only, you know. Yeah. So so let's talk about that because that is a trend I've seen as well. Uh, a lot of faction, a lot of terms are doing it differently, but the general idea is, is that they limit your army to a single codex or a single detachment and a single faction. And so they kind of limit army building and, and it, it's a very old-fashioned way to play 40k now because that was something that was a lot more commonly seen back when allies weren't really a thing or when you had allied detachments um and mono codex uh armies were a little bit more popular um and so that is something that people are moving towards what do you guys think about uh limiting detachments or limiting factions um i think it could be a good way to change things up um, but it does definitely shift the balance on some armies, especially if you limit to a single detachment that actually can make army construction very difficult for many kinds of armies. <laughs> Grey Knights. Um, because, <laughs> well, yeah, or Grey Knights. Dark Eldar. Um, Dark Eldar struggle a lot. So do Imperial Guard, actually. Um, because they can pack a lot into one detachment, they also kind of want to mix things up. And if you don't have any access to any like super heavies or stuff like that, then you can run into some issues. Yeah. Um, so I like single faction more than single detachment in most cases, so, uh, because some armies just really struggle with single detachment. I would highly recommend anyone out. So usually people are like, yeah, we're just going to do mono faction, single book, whatever it is. You immediately find out that that actually. Core, core to its game design there's some books where things kind of break yeah. um especially when you go yep. to the mono faction route um there's a format that's played uh as far as i know in one place the rock of gibraltar the sn no <laughs> retreat tournament um is meant to be a hobbyist slash uh, youtuber vacation destination um and uh, they have a really um i think elegant well really good uh, rules pack real uh, format for mono faction that's so the SN Battle Reports No Retreat Tournament format. If you're really into this idea, I think they've done a lot of the work from an army construction point of view for where you can break the rules. So, like, for example, you know, Admech and Knights and any number of, of play or how Drukari even function if you're only allowed to bring one faction keyword. Um, you know, there's there's uh, all sorts of places where it breaks down in Inquisition. Um, so they've they've done the work <laughs> yeah. where they sort of yeah. lay out in a fluffy way the the way that I guess it makes the most sense for which armies can uh, bring in different factions and it and it just looks like it plays um, well I think in that kind of a, a format concept so I check that out if this is something uh, that you want to do because people will often try to make this format happen and what winds up happening is that they miss something or they allow something that then. Um, really skews you know what one guy can bring and uh and then and then it's a no fun zone and someone gets called cheesy or some other tabletop mm. gaming slur so it's um it's uh something worth looking into if that's a format you are liking yeah i definitely see it as for smaller rts or maybe maybe even a random gt here and there for like you know off the wall stuff like single faction and like Gibraltar, unless you put a lot of work into like the Gibraltar guys, they they definitely put a lot of work to where people wouldn't be left out. Because so I can see in a larger format, if you're trying to get a lot of people to attend, the broader list the options you give people, the more people tend to show up. 
Yeah. yeah, I actually think that is a a failing that a lot of tournaments run into when they try and create kind of like a, a weirder alternate format is they'll come up with something they think sounds really cool and is like, ooh, it lets me bring this list that I like. And then they forget that there are a lot of people that that format is going to exclude. It's like, and in this format, you can't bring super heavies. And the guy who only plays knights is kind of like, well, I guess I'm not going. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You, you also see that with RTTs as well. Uh, they'll have, uh, you know, less standard mission formats. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when they try to move their RTT to a GT and try to make it a little more regional of an event where people travel to it, yeah. uh, you start to get people with the feels badsies because they traveled to an event um, and they maybe didn't read the mission pack or it wasn't available to them. And they brought an army that was hard to play or flat out unplayable, which... Ha- does happen um so which is why you know a trend that you might be noticing is rtts tended to mess with these non-standardized formats um whereas gts and especially majors try to keep everything as standardized as possible because uh you want you want to make as many people coming to your event as possible as comfortable as possible right and so dropping weird rules things on them that might affect their experience is usually as a rule of thumb not something you want to do but one one thing that I have been seeing a lot that isn't, I don't want to say it's not standard, but it's something that's been picking up steam at, at bigger tournaments is the no Forge World rules. That's something that the ETC yeah. used you for, think that's picking I, up still steam? uses. I mean, when I mean picking up steam, I mean, I guess in my local area, there's there's uh, more GT level events that are banning Forge World. Really? Um, yeah. It's... So. It's an interesting curve because in 5th and 6th, the default was typically no Forge World. Uh, A majority of tournaments did not allow it, which over time, as Forge World became less problematic, um, which in part was because the main codexes were more problematic, um, Forge World became more accepted, and by the time 7th edition ended, Forge World was... Not universally accepted, but uh, I would say a far more accepted than not. Uh, and then we've seen a little bit of a pullback in 8th, although I haven't seen the same change that Pablo has. Um, around here, tournaments still allow Forge World pretty freely. I would think that the the the, the comp restriction that maybe is picking up more, like actually maybe becoming more prevalent, is the no index concept, which I yep. find a bit strange. I've actually um, never seen that, although well, I've heard about an, it. Yeah, it's same an here. It's I think standard... I've heard that more than uh, No Forge World. Interesting. Um, it's a, it's just, it is an ETC restriction. Actually, some we forgot to touch on, but ETC restricts No Forge World and No Index. I, I, hmm. I will never see them backing off the Index thing, but I could see them backing off the Forge World stuff, if only because there's really not a lot. Maybe maybe Chaos will change this this concept, but like right now it doesn't feel like there's anything super uh super powerful um, a lot of those really wacky units were just pointed out of the game um, yeah so i i don't know I, I think it's it's something that uh it's more like a what why are you picking on forge world like yeah. Just... yeah i mean all i see from forge world is daredales and leviathans really yeah <laughs> that actually kind of sums up my experience as well it's like you, there's a handful of vehicles that make appearances gigantic um, a few imperial guard units and like one eldar unit but the vast majority actually okay that's not true there is one faction that it really changes things for custodes yes they yeah. just have so few units that and forge world has added so much that like if you ban forge world custodes becomes a totally different army yeah, and and I think that's kind of been true 
you know, as long as I've been playing 40k, is mm-hmm. generally most Forge World units aren't super playable, but there are there are a few that that are, people love using that are really In powerful. Seventh edition Forge World had a lot of issues because there were some brutally powerful Forge there, World. There there were some brutally but powerful Forge World lists, um, and and units, but um, that's uh, much less true now. Yeah, yeah, but it's usually the same offenders though. And and now. Yeah. So, you know, like, uh, anyways, so No Forge World is something that you can consider, uh, is, especially if you feel like um, your group might be more prone towards not liking Forge World, you know, or perceiving them as really OP things, um, which generally players that have been playing around since, like, 5th edition, that might be more their mentality versus newer players who just started playing in 8th edition who might not have that same mentality. So it does depend on your local playgroup, but that is something that can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one I wanted to give a shout out to that that I wish would pick up more steam is a uh, Highlander formats. Yeah. Uh, and then mm-hmm. these are formats where you can only pick one uh, unit from each data sheet. Um, thus, a Highlander list where every unit is different. So this this is um, put in place to prevent spam. Um, although troop choices are usually an exception to the Highlander thing. Mm-hmm. Dedicated transports typically are and as dedicated well. transports, yeah. Um, it essentially uses the uh, the rule book's uh, zero to three limitation and changes it to a zero to one limitation. Um, it can be very fun. I've played in a fair number of Highlander lists, although I think Highlander more than any of these other things we've talked about advantages certain armies very heavily while leaving some others almost untouched. Yes. <clears throat> Alright, and then uh, finally, well, one thing in the show notes that I, just a format that I wanted to bring up that um, I've been thinking of for a while that I just wanted your guys' feedback on. I think it's something cool. Um, and that's a uh, draft format. And so, the to give you some history, uh, X-Wing, I, I played a lot of X-Wing, the miniatures game, um, a couple years ago, and I've, I've been, I've kind of lost interest a little bit since 2nd edition came out. Uh, but I still follow along with it. And in the X-Wing World Championships, they had this draft format where you would custom build your squadron and and you would basically pick the ships that you wanted to use in conjunction with like a 50-point list. So if you imagine X-Wing, there's 100-point lists. You had a 50 points that you always set and then you draft 25 to 50 points of other ships to add to your list and it would be like a snake draft, so people would pick like the best ships, and then it would wind around. And it, it seemed really cool, and I've always wanted to see if that would be something that people would even be interested in. Um, maybe not at a super like like major level with like hundreds of players drafting something, because obviously mm-hmm. that doesn't work. But my vision was always like, what happened? What would happen if you had, you know, a top eight? You had like Nick Nanavati, uh, Tony Grappon, or, or you know. Uh, you know, Sean Naden, Val, known players who, who are really I'm good. often in that lineup of names. <laughs> I was thinking community leaders. I was thinking, uh, uh, in my head, I was imagining a big stream spectacle where you had like 32 750-point, you know, detachments of beautifully painted armies. And then you'd have these players like draft them and then, you know, run the armies as it is. Anyways, I, that sounds I, I like want it'd more... be great as like an invitational. Yes, that which is my yeah. point exactly. I think a relatively small format, I would actually say 16 rather than 32 just because of the logistics. It could be very interesting, but there's a lot of little like 
factors in there that you have to consider. I think the big difference between 40k and uh, X-Wing is X-Wing is much more atomic. Yep. Um, so it's harder to divvy a 40k list into parts the way you would an X-Wing list. Yeah. I would, uh, um, I'd, I'd love to see a, <clears throat> pardon me, a, a sideboard. I think that'd be kind of neat. I think you already see it, kind of the potential of it with the Assassin. Yeah, um, sideboards have been discussed for quite a while, but yeah. they, they run into a lot of the same issues. Um, although other games do manage them, so it's not impossible. Yeah, yeah. and the reason why I bring it up is, you know, a lot of these a lot of these more competitive, uh, or not more competitive, but a lot of these other tabletop games or, or like Magic TCGs, card games, they have different formats within their game. Um, like a mm-hmm. limited for Magic where you work with a set of cards that are randomized that you would build a deck out of instead of a deck that you construct yourself and bring with you, um, which does kind of uh, just create a different play style for people who maybe don't have access to all the models. Right. And so a lot of the times you, you see this term thrown around like the pay to win, right, where you, you buy the best like four drilled unit or you buy the best units and then you're automatically going to do better than someone who can't afford like a Knight Castellan. Um, and so the idea of limited or other tournament formats just kind of mitigates that concept. Uh, but anyways, it's always something I've, I've been curious to see if people were even interested in. Uh, let me know in the comments section if you guys have any formats that you use that are very common in your region. Uh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, do you mind if I throw in my uh, pet format that I've always wanted to play but never have? Go ahead. Uh, backdraft format. In Backdraft, you build the absolute worst garbage army you can manage, and then right before you play each game, you switch lists with your opponent. <laughs> so they are playing your list and you are playing theirs. Uh, it it really does emphasize this kind of like playing with the worst nonsense in your codex kind of uh, concept. It is not in the slightest competitive. It is extremely easy to break, um, but you can do some very amusing things with it. And it kind of does bring out those weird units that no one ever sees. Shoot. I was going to say, uh, well, just do it like Pablo was saying, like his style, but your opponent picks what you take. Sure. Could be, although that gets into, like, model issues, uh, because then, you know, people are bringing, like, 4,000-point collections. Oh, yeah, I'll say, like, you know, like, if you do, like, a sideboard, and then, like, well, this is what I have, and then your opponent can be, well, I want you to use that this game, or you write it down so that way you don't even know what your opponent's going to pick out of your list. Right. And and I just got to say here, if we can handle summoning, why can't we (laughs) handle a sideboard? I agree. Uh, I mean, we... Most people can't handle summoning. That's why they don't do it. Uh, I just sorry, I just had an epiphany. Seems, like, no, seems I, like it's already in the game. It just you know. it kind of is for one faction. Yeah, it, it, you know, I, I agree with you, Val. Um, I, I think I think that as the commu- as the tournament scene grows, I would like to see you know these large marquee events adopt these specific one of one off formats that are limited to to smaller groups of people. Um, that are designed with competitiveness in mind, but also unique and uh, definitely worth streaming and they're entertaining. So uh, sideboards would be pretty cool too. That'd be another angle. You know, you'd look at 500 points of of someone's sideboard and go like, oh, well, why did they take this for this this unit? And I think that adds a depth that we're craving for as a community, um, especially as we grow. Mm Mm-hmm. One, uh, I mean, it'd be kind of neat if, if one of the big tournaments like Nova or, or LVO or all of them 
you know, for their sort of sub tournaments, you know, their side tournaments, if it was just like a, like an experimental lab for, for weird format and innovation. We kind yeah, of, you, I feel you like inc- you could really incubate new missions and new formats and stuff on the side and I don't know, have fun with it. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. And this all came about when I was when I was in the sitting in the frontline gaming uh, you know, office with all the armies that we had. And I was looking at all these gorgeously painted armies and I was like I could create <laughs> like 750 points of competitive Eldar out of that army and 500 points of space marines out of that and go on and I was like wait a minute. I could probably do like 32 armies and then, you know, did some quick math and boom, there you go. Draft format. Anyways, like I said, if you guys have any comments, go into that comment section on YouTube, Frontline Gaming, or anywhere where you're listening, and let us know what formats you like. Uh, and if you like this tutorial, if it helped you out, uh, if you have any more questions, you can always email me, frontlinegamingpdpob at gmail.com. So we're, we're running a little behind, um, so I think we're going to skip the the uh, segment that we added in for today and maybe save it for... Uh, a spin-off or a patron exclusive or we'll add it to another episode at another time um, and let's go ahead and jump right into the patreon questions so every mm-hmm. week we we uh open the floor for the patrons and they ask questions in the facebook chat and then we answer them and um you know give them feedback and so it, it can be anything uh it's usually stuff that has to do with the subject uh to expand on the episode a little bit more though sometimes it is list advice or just general advice uh, and that is open to patrons. And if you want to ask us questions, go to patreon.com slash chapter tactics and consider helping out the podcast. It keeps the lights on. It keeps Val happy and his passport in his pocket where it belongs. Oh, that was good. Hmm. All right. First question comes from Mr. Patron Drew. Uh, why aren't there more team tournaments? Uh, and I think I'll, hmm. I'll take this away and you, let you guys go on. Then simply put, team tournaments are really hard to run that's that's uh my my two bits in there why aren't there more team tournaments guys uh i would say because they require more people um an eight man team tournament with like four man teams is a full gt uh and that is like pretty small you know eight teams is not a lot so it's just a matter of like the logistics required yeah, and, and on the other side of it too is the coordination of the teams themselves, because you need yeah you know, for this one you need five people who um, are able to to show up on the day. So uh, you know it can be tough. If, but I think once once you get the taste for it, you know people do crazy things to make <laughs> to make sure they get there because it's uh it's it's well worth the effort. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely like there's a lot of building time together. Make sure you show up together. Make sure you guys are ready to play at the same time. Mm-hmm. But like, if one guy from your team drops, suddenly four other people are out in the cold, which can be pretty harsh. Yeah. Also, it depends on how many players are playing per team. Um, I I can imagine that for certain teams, it'll be hard to find like maybe like a Drukari player or players that play different factions um, that are also mm-hmm. competitive, right? So you might have, you know, you might have like uh, Val dust off his Space Wolves army because all of his factions are taken, but it might not be very good because he might not have a very big Space Wolves collection. And so I do know that faction restriction can affect to that as well with team building. But um, th- yeah, it's just in short, there there's a lot of resources involved. Uh, they are very difficult to run and manage, but um, when they're pulled off, they are amazing. Uh, all right, uh, Mr. Patron Tim 
wants to know what is the Patreon tier to get Pablo to play me in a game of Dawn of War for on PC to test his tactics. Um, so the, the I guess the answer question the standard tier, uh, but we <laughs> are I, I do plan on I do plan on um, you know challenging patrons to friendly games of whatever I'm playing chess, League of Legends. I don't know 40k. Um, probably not online though. Probably for the patrons who are more local. Uh, but yeah, um, I think that's pretty cool. I've always really liked the idea of communities where, um, you know, I, I could like talk to pick creators like, uh, for example, Jeff on in control TV on Twitch. Um, he had, he used to have, or I don't know if he still does, but he has a, a sub night where he plays with subs or subscribers to his channel and they'll play like just whatever game he's playing and having a great time. Um, so I'd love to do something like that. And I'd also have more people to play with. So it's pretty cool for me too. Uh, Mr. Nick wants to know how do you hosts feel about mixed formats um, ITC primaries and secondaries with Maelstrom cards so um, I believe what he's asking is when you mix like Nova's primaries with like ITC secondaries or things like that huh I Hmm. can't say I've ever actually seen that before I've seen custom missions that are kind of like that but I've never actually seen someone explicitly mix two formats I said do it sounds fun (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can always try it. That's the thing about tournaments is like, give it a shot, test it out, see how it works. Um, maybe you'll be the first person or it'll work super well. Yeah, it, and actually, I forgot to mention this in the podcast, uh, but leagues are another great place for testing out oh, all yeah. all of that stuff, right? And and so, you know, you get months of feedback. Um, you can change it up weekly or monthly, uh, the rules, um, and then you're always usually have... dedicated group of people to playing like playtesting basically playtesting for you once or twice a week or whatever the league works um and so that can that can work out really well and it also lets you kind of adapt to the overall meta as a whole right so if like you see problem things like obliterators um you know having two points costs and you're not sure which rule to roll and by the way it's the csm book one um (laughs) but uh you know, you can't, a league lets you adapt to that. Whereas tournaments with set dates makes it a lot harder for you to adapt to that. And so you get, sometimes get things where you don't know if an FAQ is going to come out and, and you need that FAQ to come out or, or not, you know, so leagues, leagues can be pretty cool for all of that stuff. makes it a lot flexible for organizers. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> Matthew Bailey wants to know, uh, I'm actually going to a Highlander tournament this weekend. We're only allowed one detachment and no Lord of War allowed. Ugh. I feel like the obvious choice for wow. a detachment is a brigade. Is that the case for all armies, or is that not true? Um, so we did answer that a little bit. Uh, but Sean, do you want to take that away? Um, it really depends on your faction. Many factions will want a brigade simply because it maximizes what you're able to take, but sometimes that troop investment is just too heavy, and you'll have to go down to a battalion, which basically means saying, like, oh, I'm just not really going to have any command points. Yeah. Yeah, the the mono detachment will tournaments do sound a lot rougher. It's it's really rough for like Dark Eldar or Tau. That hurts a lot. Uh, and then we do have finally one message in Patreon. Uh, and this message is messages for Val. Patron Chris wants to know mm-hmm. is forty K Stat Center going to be a thing? I actually just read this message. Is forty K Stat Center gonna be a thing, Val? I think it feels like it's going to be a thing. Um, like I said, we're just getting the uh, technical stuff ironed out and getting our schedules lined up. So hopefully in June, 
um, you'll start seeing regular episodes of Stat Center. Perfect. And if you want to catch those regular episodes, go to FrontlineGaming.org, where you can also find tabletop goodies, second handies from yours truly, and so much more. Also, this episode was brought to you by the Throne of War GT in Honolulu, Hawaii, coming up next month, at near the end of the month. And, of course, the Boise Cup happening at the end of the month in June. If you're in Boise or beautiful, sunny Honolulu, you know what? Beautiful, sunny Boise, too. Mm-hmm. And be- or beautiful nice sunny here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, head on out to those GTs. Uh, they are both filling up. Uh, I myself will be attending uh, the Throne of War GT in Hawaii with Sean and Mr. Reese. And uh, the Boise Cup is where the Relentless D team is going to be. So if you're a big fan of Brandon Grant, all of Relentless D, myself, and other people, I'll go be to the there Boise as well. Cup and check it out. Oh, and Mr. Beast Puppy as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, will Shaylin also be attending? No, she won't. Work has kind of been rough for her recently, so... Alright, so anyways, head out to those two events. Uh, and then, like like I mentioned before, join Patreon. We're giving away an LVO High Roller package. Don't worry, like I said before, if you are not attending the LVO, you will still be receiving your awesome swag bag. And that's it. I would uh, also love to plug uh, the Tabletop Gaming Expo, TGX. Mm-hmm. It's coming up again. Um, I'm actually stepping in as the TO. We got an 80-player cap. Um, it's it's uh, going to be a cool event. It's in almost Toronto proper, so it's still the biggest GT in the Toronto area. If you're uh, in uh, western New York, uh, if you're in Quebec, if you're over in Ottawa, if you're down in London, come one, come all. Check out TabletopGamingX.com. Get yourself some tickets. And if you want to listen to more Sean, Sean, where can they find you? Uh, we have In the Finest Hour, which is available through most all of the podcast apps, as well as uh, you can find us on Patreon and Facebook as well. Uh, we just put out our episode on flyers, so if you want to figure out how to deal with that, then might be a good listen. Right on. John, do you have any plugs you want to throw in there? No, yeah, I think you hit all. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> go. No worries. I thought, I thought he called out to me. A common mistake. I did. You just go with this President Camacho. Yeah. Uh, so now we got uh, the Deseret GT on June 29th and June 30th. It's uh, it's our first time we're changing over to a new name, but it should be a lot of fun. It's a bit of GT, and it's we're part of that uh, Texas circuit: Houston, Dallas, Austin. Uh, should be a pretty good turnout this year. There's a lot of really good players in that area too. There's there's two top eighters john and will and then there's also goat boy will he be he lives in that area will he be attending i'm not sure if he's gonna make it down i know he went to dallas we just went to dallas and then uh, i think he went to the alamo i think he's gonna i'm not sure if he's gonna try don't quote me on that but it's definitely within driving range oh i'm gonna call him out then goat boy you got a reputation man (laughs) You, you gotta hold your texas circuit all right guys thank you very much for listening you guys are the best listeners as always and have a good one Take it easy, guys.